I'm Charles Lee. And I'm Elise Kovic. And this is the Grok Science Show. Coming up on today's program, uh, Dr. Jan Zalojewicz will join us to discuss Planet in a Pebble. So you're going to stay tuned for all that, plus the Grokatron 5000. It's coming right up here on the Grok Science Show. Science show. Well, pebbles are ubiquitous features of any landscape, uh, so much so that these minute particles scarcely will cause anyone to think twice about their existence. But what can a pebble tell us about the history and formation of the Earth? Well, join us today to talk about this issue is Dr. Jan Zalashevitz. Dr. Zalashevitz is a senior lecturer in the paleobiology group at the University of Leicester. He has authored numerous scientific and popular works on the subject, including The Earth After Us. His latest work, The Planet in a Pebble, A Journey into Earth's Deep History, explores this topic for a general audience. And we want to thank you very much, Dr. Zalashevitz, for uh, joining us today on the Grok Science Show. Thank you. Sure, you're welcome. Well, thank you again. And it, this is really a, a fascinating book that you've written, uh, The Planet in a Pebble, in which you talk about what we can learn from a pebble, how it tells us about the Earth's geological history. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about that. Yes, yeah, thank you, Charles. Yeah, it's a pebble, I thought, would make a nice story, simply because there is so much information, so many stories that we can extract from any pebble of rock that I thought it would be nice to tell the whole story from the beginning of where the, the particles arrived at through to how the original grains of mineral uh, got together, what kind of you know, experiences, adventures, if you like, they, they passed through underground, and, and finally how it arrived you know, to be a pebble, uh, as you said, uh, under our feet. I see. So all the sort of processes that eventually lead to the formation of a, of a pebble. That's right, yes. Within a, a pebble, it might look fairly small, if not insignificant to us. But let's say if you were to take a standard pebble, let's say weighing a couple of ounces, and magnify it to the kind of size where you could just about see the atoms. Let's say the atoms would be about the size of, of rice grains, for instance. Then the pebble itself would be about the size of, oh, I don't know, Chicago, for instance, and would stretch five or ten miles up into the sky. And those atoms, of course, would be of all different sorts, oxygen and silicon and iron and magnesium and even gold and silver too. And they'd be bound together in different mineral forms, all of which have their own history. And interspersed between those mineral grains, there will be fossils, most of them very small, you need a microscope to see them, which will each themselves, of course, tell the story of the life of a a particular animal or plant that lived many hundreds of millions of years ago. And with the kind of technology that we have these days, we can actually take a single pebble and extract a whole variety of stories from it. I wrote one book about one pebble, but in reality, if you were to pursue the stories, one could write a, you know, a, a hundred-volume set of monographs about a pebble. There is just so much information, so much history packed into it. And so e- each pebble, in a sense, has its own story. Each pebble does have it, each pebble has many stories mm. uh, within it. 
And it's just a case of uh, extracting them, disentangling them, using all of the, the forensic powers that modern science offers us. So, you know, we have to, you know, put on, if you like, the, the, the Sherlock Holmes outfit, go out there and deduce what kind of adventures and crimes even that pebble passed through in, it, in its many, many years of existence. Hmm. How do scientists, geologists, go about examining rocks, pebbles, and decoding the history of the Earth? Well, there are some very standard techniques these days. For instance, if you were to take that pebble and, and partly sacrifice it, you know, slice it in half, um, one can make what's called a thin section. So it's, it's an, a very thin sliver. It's, it's a thousandth of an inch thick. And then you can put that sliver under a microscope, and then you can immediately see many different kinds of mineral grains. One can see oh, quartz and mica and felspar and monazite and rutile and zircon and how those grains are put together, and again, what kind of evidence they give for what a particular seashore or seafloor would have looked like, let's say, 400 million years ago. One can take that same sliver and put it under an electron microscope, and then one can zap it with an, a finely focused beam of electrons onto a point which is two thousandths of a millimeter across, uh, and from that one can get the chemical composition of that particular mineral fragment, how much silicon, aluminium, iron, magnesium, and so on there is within it. Uh, and using all of these different clues, one can then do what the subject of science is about. One can tell narratives, try to understand something of the, the history of the Earth that we live on. It seems as if a lot of these different methods then have to be sort of put together and, in a sense, drawing the history of the Earth from all these circumstantial evidences rather That's difficult. That's right, yeah. yes. It, 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 the evidence is always partial and, and fragmentary and, and tantalizing, but there is an awful lot of it. You know, for instance, the, the average... I, I take a pebble of Welsh slate for the story, simply because it's a, it's a substance I know best. I've, I've been a field geologist in Wales for, oh, 20, 25 years now. Um, and one can extract out of that pebble thousands, um, tens of thousands of individual mineral grains, each of which have got their own story, each their own composition, and so on. One can extract thousands of, of, of microfossils, and if one's lucky, even find one or two bigger fossils in there as well, you know, to work on with a, a binocular microscope and a needle and a set of monographs, you know, to work out what kind of life forms there were in there deep in the past that's now entombed, trapped within that pebble. Um, one can extract, one to, to know something of the history of a, a mountain range that vanished long ago. One can uh, crush the pebble and sacrifice it once more and extract uh, a particular mineral called zircon, uh, which is uh, zirconium silicate. And that is a particular mineral much sought after by geologists because it, when it grew, it can take in uranium. It can have up to a few percent of uranium in it. Uh, and that uranium within the mineral, of course, is radioactive. And it breaks down in, into lead at, at a, a rate that we now know quite well. So by measuring the amount of uranium and lead from that single grain of, of zircon, from our single pebble, one can work out when it grew. It might have grown, let's say, a billion years ago. And in fact, if you can count the methods of, of, of actually extracting time in real hard numbers out of a rock, uh, I think I came to a tally of, of 10 different ways one can take uh, minerals from a pebble uh, and date everything from the formation of, you know, the mountain ranges that provided the sediment that led to the pebble to the time that the, the grains were actually laid down on the seafloor to various things that then happened underground 
much later, let's say, two or three hundred million years uh, ago, when oil formed, for instance, uh, or when mineral veins formed, you know, within uh, another mountain range that took place as, as the pebble formed. So, the, if you like, uh, many intersecting four-dimensional pathways one can take through a pebble to pull out, to, to select bits of history. It's a bit like going into Aladdin's cave, uh, and then one's surrounded, you know, by a treasure, a buried treasure here and there, and one can then you know, examine that and try and put together a history of how that treasure got, you know, assembled in, into that particular cave. Uh, how does one even begin to become interested in, like, looking at a pebble and trying to decode the history? Of, I mean, how did you become interested in this field yourself? Probably by, as, as a very young child, by looking at pebbles on a beach, and they're all different shapes and colors, and uh, I remember vividly on, on one holiday finding a pebble with, with some fossils in and that, to me, at age of, uh, you know, seven or eight or nine, seemed quite wonderful that you could put your hand onto something and you find something quite by accident, quite by chance, that was alive, uh, let's say, 200 million years ago. You know, and that's just so far back, and that's just such a, you know, almost a romantic vision of the world, you know, that we're surrounded by this history, and we can just stumble across it. And then, you know, as I got a bit older, uh, I got to realize that if one went out specifically, you know, to look, you know, in different parts of the countryside, you know, one could find minerals, quartz and fluorite and things like that, you know, or particular fossils, trilobites and ammonites, uh, and each of those represented some section, some segment of, of, of the past Earth. Um, so I was hooked, really. It's a job for me, but it's also it's a hobby, it's a pursuit. Uh, it's something I'll no doubt be doing for years and years, well after I retire. You know, um, and most of my colleagues do that. You know, once you get to know just how complex and fascinating and mysterious and still poorly understood the Earth is, then it's like it's the biggest and best puzzles of all to try and work you know that kind of history out. Part of it, of course, knowing really how life sort of interacts with the various geological features of the Earth, perhaps shaping it in a sense. Does this That's give right. a yes. sense of where life has been and where life is going on the planet? Yes, very much so. You know, for instance, you know, in, in my chosen pebble, you know, there are uh, uh, layers which are a bit darker. And they're a bit darker because they've got a bit of carbon in. And that carbon was once fossils which were entombed in mud on the seafloor. And that carbon, of course, we use in, in two ways. We, uh, we take the oil and burn it. But also, at, at the time the pebble was being formed, hundreds of millions of years ago, that carbon was being buried on the seafloor, and therefore it was taking carbon dioxide out of the air. And therefore, the very formation of the rock of the pebble, uh, in a sense, was acting as a, a, a thermostat on the planet. It was cooling the planet. Uh, and again, just by holding the pebble, you know, we have part of that global sustenance mechanism in our hand, the way that the Earth regulates itself. I guess uh, knowing about uh, the Earth's path, uh, sort of a window into the, the future of the Earth, what, what do we know about how the Earth will evolve in terms of its, its geology? Well, we, we can see you know, how the Earth has behaved in the past. And of course, to understand the future, we need to understand the past. You know, there are cycles of, of opens, o oceans opening and closing, of mountain belts being formed, of, of life evolving. Uh, and, and so we can take those kinds of, of patterns, those kinds of messages, and, and apply them to the future. So, for instance, the, the pebble that is on the seashore will get eroded and, and converted into grains of sand and, and mud, and those will be swept by ocean currents and, and land up on, on the seafloor and be buried in turn. 
uh, to form future pebbles, let's say, in, in another 100 or 200 million years, uh, when that seafloor is consumed and, and eroded by the wind and the rain. And we know that these cycles will carry on you know, for another billion years or so, you know, until the, the sun becomes uh, too hot. The sun is heating up very slowly. And at some stage, you know, probably about a billion years' time, it will become too hot to support life on Earth. And a little later, the oceans will evaporate. And uh, a little later still, uh, plate tectonics will probably grind to a halt in, in a rather spectacular fashion. And then another couple of billion years, the sun will become a red joint, uh, perhaps engulf the Earth itself uh, and bring the whole cycle to a, to a stop. So we look at the Earth and we look also at distant stars and planets to try and, and get a feel and, uh, of the past and the present and the future. What advice would you give to people who are interested in geology and wanting to sort of learn more about it and how to um, kind of look at, at the Earth and think in terms of the way geologists would think? Firstly, is, is get out into the hills. Wherever you're living, there, there, there will be geology all around you, and it's always best, you know, in the outdoors. So by a stream, by a river, by a beach, there'll be pebbles, there may be rock outcrops. And the first thing is simply to go and, and push around, as it were, you know, just, just to see what you can see, um, you know, find whatever minerals, and simply try and think them through. And of course, these days, there's so much information available on, on, on the Internet, in, in books and so on. And once you, you get bitten by the bug uh, of geology, that there is information everywhere at the, the press of a button or a visit to the library uh, to tell you uh, about these shapes and patterns, the, the textures and colors and shapes of pebbles uh, that you can go and collect yourself. What, what would you say was your most memorable find? Probably. I would have thought it's, it's in a museum and, and not in the field. Um, you know, I found a, a fossil once you know, in, a, in a, a slab which had been looked at by a number of geologists way back, um, you know, which showed a, a, a completely different way of, of building the skeleton of this particular creature. And, and it, it showed how a, a colony, um, the creatures in the colony, could act cooperatively to tie their skeleton together, to make it stronger, to make it more resistant to the waves. And, and that was a, a little eureka moment, you know, that you, you'd, you'd found something which you knew showed you a, a, different, a different view of the Earth and how the life on it developed. But there are many discoveries that, that, that one makes if one's out in the hills, you know, small and large, you know, almost every day you can find something to sit and, and think about, you know, a cup of tea at the end of the day. Well, we are running slightly out of time. I'm, I'm curious if maybe you just have some final words re regarding, regarding the book and, of course, geology and the, a planet in a pebble. Well, uh, I hope, um, you know, if anybody picks it up, I hope they'll, they'll enjoy it. It, it, it gives a, and I hope it gives a sense of how big and multidimensional and, and, and plain fascinating the subject of geology is. Um, uh, geology is a subject which, you know, really, until you start doing it, is, 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 is I think, quite underappreciated. Uh, a lot of us, the students that I teach, chosen geology by accident and only after they'd done that you know they became you know hooked on the subject on um, you know a subject that combines the you know the great outdoors uh, and also many still intellectual challenges and adventures to try and work out our planet's long history the new book is called the planet in a pebble a journey into earth's deep history doctors last which i want to thank you very much uh, joining us today on uh, the grok science show okay and thank you charles good good to speak to you, with you 
All right, you're just listening to Dr. Jan Zelochewicz talking about their new book, Planet in a Pebble. This is the Grok Science Show. We'll be back. If I can reach the stars, pull one down for you, shining on my heart, so you could see the truth, and this love I have Well, it's time to play our game. It's uh, the Grokatron 5000. It's our supercomputer, formerly known as Deep Blue. Today, the Grokatron 5000 has chosen the topic, what type of rock would they be? So for the following five individuals, the Grokatron 5000 would like to know, if they were a rock, what kind of rock would they be and why? Are you ready to play the game, the Grokatron 5000? I'm ready to give it a try, yeah. All right, well, here we go. Uh, person number one, it's the uh, pop idol star Simon Cowell. Uh, Simon Cowell, yes. Um, well, I, I, I think a uh, 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 very smooth character, you know, a little dark, isn't he? Um, and and, uh, and a touch mysterious. Uh, so uh, uh, perhaps it'd be something, um, and, and quite shiny, isn't it? They show he does is quite shiny. So um, I'd have thought it's a rock that's been um, uh, deeply baked. So maybe something like a... Uh, a slate or a, 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 a mica schist. How about that? Mm-hmm. You know, you know, somebody who who, who uh, it's it's a it's a, a very shiny rock uh, and one I think that can um, you know has a, a very attractive surface to it, uh, though it, it probably hides some mystery underneath it. Right. I, I, uh, I, would that do for him? That that sounds good. I, I would expect <laughs> some kind of rock that could cut you deeply. <laughs> but, <laughs> well, you have to be careful. You can cut your finger with a piece of, of slate quite easily. Okay, well. <laughs> so I've learned to my cost in, in the field many a time. Uh, all right, so I think it's uh, quite an adequate choice for him then. 
All right. All right, so the next person, Richard Branson. Richard Branson. No, there is, uh, um, I, I, I always associate the, the, the picture, um, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, with the you know the, the, the golden mane and the golden beard, and, and <laughs> so uh, and, and quite a you know a rich character and a rich colour. So how about a, a, a nice a golden brown um, sandstone? Mm. You know you know that, just that faint bit of cragginess about it, uh, and him of course. <laughs> so maybe you know maybe he's uh, you know uh, uh, Mr. Richard Sandstone uh, Branson. Okay. <laughs> All right. Next up, um, one of my favorite people in the whole wide world, uh, Ricky Gervais. Ricky Gervais. Well, um, now there's something. Now, how about something? Yeah, I get the feeling of, 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 of again, different, you know, sides to the character. So you want something where the minerals stand out. You, You know, you have the different sides of it. So maybe... Something maybe like a granite, because you can very easily see that there are, you know, both uh, you know the, the dark micas, and, and and then you've got the, the glassy quartzes, and and and, and the, the the nicely crystalline uh, feldspars in there. So uh, perhaps could it be a granite Gervais? I were I like it. Yeah, it sounds good to me. Uh, I'm curious about the next one. Is uh, the Alley G star Sasha Baron Cohen? Ah, okay, yes, well, there's a, a bizarre character, isn't it? <laughs> so you'd want something a little bit, you know, out of the ordinary, wouldn't you, you know, for, uh, for, for Sasha Cohen. And, 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 and again, something with a, uh, a, a bit of bite to it. So um, how, um, now I'm thinking about that, uh, how about, uh, uh, and he's made quite a splash, hasn't he? Mm, yeah. Hasn't his splash? I uh, and, and and so if a meteorite strikes the Earth and, and causes a lot of ruckus and rumption, it creates a rock called a breccia. Hmm. Uh, so perhaps breccia, Baron Cohen, <laughs> somebody that has uh, you know uh, had an impact and and uh, uh, ruffled you know the surface of the Earth. <laughs> More than a few layers deep, I think, uh, with the rock. <laughs> <laughs> yes. yeah. Well, they can go quite deeply with some of these things. Okay. Uh, all right, finally, number five, what type of rock would he be? It's your former prime minister, Gordon Brown. Uh, Gordon Brown, now there is, 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 is a strong and, 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 and um, blunt and, and, and craggy character. Tends to, um, you know, if, if, you know, tends to um, be quite tactical hit. If, if you take a, a rock like a, a flint, uh, and, and you hit it, then it, you know, um, then it, you know, sparks will fly, and, and sparks have flown a bit with with with, uh, with Gordon Brown. Mm-hmm. So, so maybe a good uh, flinty character. So I think flint for, for Gordon Brown, and, and you know, it may suit his his his, his good Northern Scottish nature. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, Dr. Lechwood, I want to thank you very much for joining us today. Uh, again, playing our game, and of course talking about the new book, The Planet in a Pebble, A Journey into Earth's Deep History. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you, and you too also. <laughs> All right. Bye. Take care. Bye-bye. All right. We'd like to thank our guest, Dr. Jan Zalaswitz, uh, talking about his book, A Planet in a Pebble. All right, uh, it's been the Grok Science Show. I'm your host, Charles Lee. And I'm Elise Kalvik. We'll be back in two weeks. See us on the web, www.groks.net. Uh, science at groks.net is our email, and we're on Facebook and Twitter. Have a great afternoon.